This is episode 16 of Fam Life with Phil Gomez on the Rising Man podcast. Our guest for today is Jetty Azuma. Let's go. What's good, y'all? Phil Gomez back at it again. This is Fam Life, where we talk all things relationship, lifestyle, and focus on amplifying the voices of people of color. Got a real special episode for you today for two reasons. One, we got the man himself, Jetty Azuma, on the mic, so it's always great to chop it up with him. And two, we get to do this episode in Rainbow Rock Canyon, the place that we take men to fast for dojo. And uh, it's always special to be able to have a conversation without any distractions, under the sun, surrounded by mountains. It's really just a beautiful, beautiful way to drop in and uh, reconnect with my bro. So we talk all things fatherhood and how we as fathers are going through rites of passage or go through stages of life alongside with alongside our children. So as they are growing, so are we. So really special conversation to have and really just get to tap into uh, the fatherhood side of Jetty. Before we jump into the episode, I want to let you guys know about Dojo. May 4th through 7th in Austin, Texas, there is an opportunity to show up in the ring with other men and put your leadership skills to the test. Now, if you're a guy that's looking to become a better leader, whether it's for yourself or for your family or for your community or for the world, this is a great opportunity to be around other men who are looking to do the same thing, be in person for a change, and really just put your tools to the test. If you want to learn more about Dojo, go to risingman.org slash dojo and learn more there and sign up for it today. All right, without further ado, let's get it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Fam Life, where we talk all things relationship, lifestyle, and focus on amplifying the voices of people of color. Got a real special episode for you today. Not only because we got the man himself, Chetty Azuma, but we're out here. Rainbow Rock Canyon, Death Valley. Get to shoot this under the clouds and under the sun and no yelling kids in the next room. It's it's pretty special to be out here. Is that how a lot of your episodes go? Oh, most of them. <laughs> the kids just screaming in the back. That's it. If it's not the kids, it's the dog. <laughs> now, do you pump in that noise? Like, do you cue them up or they're just, they just know? You know, they just know. They, they, <laughs> they sniff it out. Whenever they see the microphone come out, they're like, this is our cue to be Time as loud. Time to fuck with daddy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, Jetty, I'm really happy that we have an opportunity to be away from, you know, our pressing responsibilities of mm-hmm. being dads and husbands and having jobs and all that. And it's always really special to be out here in Death Valley with you. How, how does it feel for you to be out here? Yeah, man. Uh, well, when I was, one of the things I was most looking forward to about being out here is being able to spend some time with you. You know, we talked about that just over the years, how few and far between these moments of really dropping in and checking in more than a phone call, more than FaceTime, yeah. more than even, um, a men's team meeting, just really sitting and being and covering all the bases. So it it really feels great. You know, I, there's obviously the part of me that I contend with of leaving my family and leaving my partner and my children that is not easy. And I also have come to appreciate this as a restorative time for me. This is like the ultimate tank filler. Uh-huh. so that I can go home and be back there. But especially this land, this 
place that I love so much and all of the history that it holds for us. Every time we come back here, it gets more and more rich. So it feels like a second homecoming. Absolutely. I think we were talking about it earlier in the week and, you know, I've been coming out here since 2015 mm -hmm. and it feels like the one place on earth that I know most intimately, you know, mm -hmm. it's like I recognize rocks when I come out here. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, I know these mountain peaks and I know these little coves and, you know, there's just like such a intimate relationship that I have with this land that it, it truly does feel like a homecoming. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think in, in general, like as humans, we're meant to sleep under the stars. And so whenever I get the opportunity to do that, I really just feel my nervous system and my whole being just settling, dropping. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, grateful to be able to share that with you. Likewise, man. And I know one of the things we spoke about this week was just the, the relationship with a, with a, a place most of us, that primary relationship is with <clears throat> our home mm -hmm. and the things that we keep in our home. Even if we move every couple of years, there's familiar furniture and books and things that create that sense of familiarity. But out here it is. It's like, I know these peaks. I know <laughs> when we come into our base camp, there's certain rocks that I look for and I'm like, oh, where'd that one go? Oh, there it is. And it provides a sense of um, easefulness, like a drop in and Speaking about family, I think, start to think about where do my children get to experience that? You know, obviously they get to experience that safety and certainty at home, in our home where we live and the things that they see on a day-to-day -day basis. But my children don't have a relationship with a place outside of the home like this yet. And that's something that became really apparent to me is just the, how, how important and impactful that would be for my children to be able to have that. Looking forward to creating that with them. Looking forward to bringing my son up here, our son, someday. Yep. Doing this work. Yeah, it's going to be really special. I mean, I think you're, you know, you guys, I know within the last year, moved from Santa Cruz to Austin. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but when you were in Santa Cruz, you had the privilege of living on, what was it, like 12 acres over there, that property. Yeah, yeah that's true. And uh, I know for me, whenever I would come visit you guys, it was so beautiful just to see sick uh just he's like a free-range kid you know yeah the property is big enough and safe enough that he could roam around and have his play swords and little forts and things like that so you know it's like they have had some experience of that familiarity and of course some change has been introduced uh, which is also part of developing the uh, resiliency and adaptability that's required to be a responsible adult in this world you know mm -hmm. and uh, i've have full faith that they'll find that again. Yeah, that's a good reflection, man. Thanks for reminding me of that because uh, we've only been, we haven't even been gone a full year yet. And I remember the morning that I drove away, Carrie and the kids were had already landed in Austin. I was embarking on a three-day trip to drive all of our things out there. Mm -hmm. And the morning that I left, it was right before the sun made it over the peaks and just walked out onto the land. And I remember I just started bawling like just crying just looking around and it was like I could see I could see flashes of my son and my daughter just running through the fields and their hair waving wild and I could I, I knew instantly I was grieving that they weren't going to have their, that same relationship with this place anymore and I know they'll always have memories but 
uh, in the time since we've left, that's definitely something I can see the, the void in them. And, and yet, it's, it's been really easy for me to focus on what's been lost as opposed to what they had, you know, for those two years where we lived on the land with our community. So many really important lessons that got embedded into their soul and into their spirit. Even, mm -hmm. even though my son's in public school now and we live in the burbs and we're surrounded by paved roads <laughs> and concrete, there's no, there's no mistaking the, the wildness, the, the imprint that has been left on both him and my daughter too so yeah it's good to remind remind myself of that yeah i think one of the things especially sick of your son one of the things that i really admire about him so much is his uh imagination and creativity oh yeah and for me there's no doubt that having that that space you know physical land to uh to explore and create on has you know imprinted him in that way and that you know he's going to carry that imagination and creativity with him anywhere he goes so it doesn't matter if that's in suburbia or <clears throat> you know in a city or rural area whatever you know it, it becomes part of his imprint yeah absolutely yeah i think that uh thinking about the <clears throat> the input what is the input that we are giving our children because uh, i don't i'm not too sure if there's a right or a wrong when it comes to the input but mm -hmm. it's like the raw materials we're giving them to work with to exercise their imagination to explore their creativity and their sense of adventure and yeah especially for carrie and i and i know for you and demetra and just our our community of people it feels very important to have these raw materials of relationship with nature relationship with life outside of the human world and relationship with spirit and the, the ethereal that is really important and it's cool when you see evidence of that i think i was just telling you the other day about how itsy spontaneously was playing and she recreated one of the ceremonies that we do as a community in a really fun and silly way but but also very heartfelt like she was mm -hmm. like i want to create this right now and there's a there's a memory that she drew on from even though she's just about to be four she can she's she's doing that so those are those moments of like all right we're doing something doing something <laughs> doing right something right here <laughs> yeah. right up man well it's an honor to have you on here as a guest mm -hmm. um on this segment of the podcast that you started mm. and you know we'll we'll figure out how how these circles are going to intertwine and overlap but i want to I want to speak to, I know in your life right now, you, you have claimed that you're, you know, going through another rites of passage mm -hmm. as you gear up for Sundance and, you know, your son is turning eight this year. Mm -hmm. Is that right? You know, daughter is turning four in a couple months and, you know, there's obviously you moved to Austin. There's a lot of things that, that are starting to switch and change. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we'll be able to draw that line back to fatherhood. So what I want to start with is you started this podcast five years ago now yeah right? right around five years so i want i want to talk about starting that along with the stage that sitka was at at that time oh man well so we published our first episodes in the beginning of 2018 so he was two and a half 
and that was a wild chapter of my life you know i'm i was living with you mm-hmm. and your well i guess family at that time was just demetra that's it and our other friends and obviously carrie and it was um it was one of those things where i knew it was an essential it was a non-negotiable for me to do that i really wanted to explore this question what does it mean to be a man mm-hmm. and to initiate that conversation with more men and at the same time i was providing for my family and having to figure that out and so what it looked like was like a very much a Clark Kent existence of putting on the thing going to work doing the physical therapy thing and then wherever I could squeezing in podcast sessions Um, I think for a long time I was recording in our laundry room I remember having to speak to the ladies in the house and almost like renting out the room, reserving the laundry room to record podcast episodes. My wife talked a lot of crap about you for hogging up the laundry room. Yep. Yeah, I'm (laughs) sure she did. And uh, so just persevering through the resistances. Um, Yeah, it's interesting just to think about because if I go back to where my mind was and those memories of being in the laundry room, I had no idea where the podcast was going to go or where rising man was going to take me mm-hmm. uh, all i had was just this inspiration I, I knew that i wanted to be in this conversation with men and i could feel that it would be helpful yeah. i didn't know how yet but uh but yeah man that's that's what it was like uh i remember we also had our our whole driveway was under construction for the the rest of the time that we were there basically so almost a year and so they had, you know, front loaders and excavators and jackhammers. And so I remember putting, like flipping the mattress up <laughs> against the door just to try and buffer the sound. Uh, yeah, it was a shit show. Yeah. So same period of time. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your role as a father at that time too? You said Sika was right. two, two and a half? He was two and a half. Mm-hmm. So very much still mom attached. Um, very much you know looking for that security from mom not not a lot of interest in dad he would do things with me reluctantly <laughs> i remember trying to get the bedtime situation squared away because I always wanted to go to sleep with mom and mm-hmm. he nursed until he was just over three so you know bedtime was his opportunity to have that with his mom so in large part i felt like i was the guy who brought the things home that him and his mom needed mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that was that was it you know we would play but he wasn't really too interested in me and it was it was right around the time he turned three three and then into four when that relationship started to evolve he got a little more rambunctious and mm-hmm. i was also the, the the crash dummy that he got to throw all of his weight around with he got pretty clear, early on he realized mom is not the wrestling buddy nope so that was that was probably my first starring role in his feature film was mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing I beat up on. <laughs> the crash dummy. Yeah. It's an honorable role, man. Hey, I mean that's that's the dream, right? Yep. Is being able to wrestle around in rough house with your son. Yeah. So I I embraced it. We'll get to this phase of life soon, but mm-hmm. would you say in comparison, you know, now to then that you felt like you had more more space, more time to pursue your mission? (laughs) 
compared to now. Mm-hmm. Oof, that's a hard one, man. Probably less. I'd have to say less. And the reason I say less is because I was putting in, I was working two jobs. I had two physical therapy jobs. One mm-hmm. was full-time, the other was part-time. So easily 50, 60 hours just, you know, doing the Clark Kent thing. Mm-hmm. Then I had another role in a nonprofit organization that required a few other hours a week and sometimes days. So, mm-hmm. you know, it really was, I really only had enough bandwidth to do the podcast at that point. Right. So I've, the reason I've hesitated for a minute is because it doesn't always feel like I've got a lot of time for things. In fact, it doesn't feel like I have any time for things, mm-hmm. but that's because I've created space and designed a life where I get to serve my mission with more hours in my day so definitely less space then yeah mm-hmm. interesting yeah you know there's it's like time and space or that feeling of spaciousness there's so many things that go into that equation right you know obviously there's child care right or, or sp- just spending time with our children yeah there's uh providing you know especially if that's not in alignment with the mission or you know our mission purpose is not the way we're providing there's that you know there's spending time with our partners and you know being husbands and lovers you know there's our friends and maintaining those relationships there's a lot that go into the equation of mm-hmm. how i allocate and use my time yeah well it makes me think of another conversation we've been having this week and that i've reflected a lot about over the years is i had to become really creative when it comes to problem solving because mm. all of those things uh, just require time and, and if I compartmentalize my life to where here's my friend relationships here's my family relationships here's my work here's my play here's my solo time if they're so this more separate that they are visually speaking there's a lot of distance I need to travel to get to any one of them mm-hmm. so if I can become more clever over time at taking these parts of my life that were separate and compartmentalized and starting to blend and weave them together, uh, then there's less distance I have to travel. It, it, it accounts for that extra energy that it would take to honor all of those things. Cause anybody who's a parent out there knows that time becomes a precious resource immediately and doesn't really stop until kids are on their own. That's a large chunk of life, you know, if we're Mm -hmm. saying, 20 years plus or minus depending on how many kids you have that's at least a fifth or a quarter of your life expectancy yeah <laughs> so yeah. i think a lot of people i've observed we, they get stuck in this and some things they end up just falling out of orbit you know as as the distance between them grows you know i think of men who have to quote unquote escape their families to go have their joy mm-hmm. whether it's a weekend with the boys or it's you know going to a game or something um but the, the men that I see that are able to artfully blend their, these really important parts of their lives together are the ones who are able to keep it intact for longer. Yeah. And I, I wonder how many, how many fathers and husbands and family men out there are, are cleverly designing their lives that way. Yeah. Yeah, we had uh, a couple episodes ago, I had our good friend Emiliano Acevedo on here and... Mm-hmm. Um, the word that he brought into the space that has really been echoing in my head is harmony, you know, mm-hmm. and that's like, yeah. you know, I hear you and saying these, all these different aspects and elements, if they're 
far from each other. We spent all this time traveling from one place to another when it comes to, you know, the different domains in our life that we want to be, uh, I guess, successful at. Mm-hmm. Um, so harmony is that is the bringing all those things closer so they really intertwine and affect one another in a, you know, in a positive manner. Um, and I really love that word. And I feel like, you know, what else is it that we could be seeking other than harmony in our lives, which is, you know, all these, all these aspects and domains feeding into one another. Um, and I think it's, I think that's a deep desire for probably all men, whether it's conscious or subconscious, you know, to have that harmony in life. And, uh, you know, I think there's a difference between when we're in survival mode, right? And we're scraping to get by, to make it to the next day, to the next week, to the next month. Um, and when we have some spaciousness and safety to then, uh, fine tune and adjust our lives Mm -hmm. so that we can create more harmony, you know? Well, that makes me think of why we're out here, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're guiding these men who are finishing their four days solo fast right now. And one of the things we speak about when it comes to this ceremony of a rite of passage and wilderness fasting is creating the conditions for clarity. There's so much chaos in the life of a man, period. And adding layers, responsibilities, relationship, job, family, children, community, etc. The volume gets really distorted. Mm-hmm. So whether it's something like this or something else that is so important for all of us as humans to be able to not check out, but step away from to tune in. It's just like when we're out here and it gets really windy, it's like it can be very, you know, that, that, that feeling, right? We had that when we got here. There's that feeling of like, I can't even think right now. There's so much volume around me. But the moment that I retreat to a cave and all of a sudden that dies down, it's like, oh, I, re- I literally remember who I am and why I'm here. Mm-hmm. My name is Jetty. Oh, I'm here in the desert. Oh, we're leaving these men. And the wind is it's it it robs my attention of what's most important Mm. and substitute the wind with a crying baby or uh, an an unsatisfied or unhappy wife or fill in the blank yeah it's the same yeah yeah finding that shelter in the cave you know even just momentarily to recollect yourself find your center make a plan Mm -hmm. and then you get back out into the wind you know obviously can't stay in the cave forever i really like that uh I like that visual. Yeah. So let's see. I want to fast forward to the stage in life that you are now when it comes to being a dad, mm-hmm. specifically around Sika, because he's like in, I would say, the next stage of childhood yeah. and uh, continuing to pursue your mission. Mm-hmm. Well, right before I do that, I'd love to hear you speak a bit more about the just giving everyone the context of seven year cycles, because I, yeah. I really like that. I know there's a lot of wisdom behind it that you hold better than I do yeah yeah so I've heard of this before and most recently I was reading a book by Russell Means that you actually gave to me Mm -hmm. Um, and he was talking about this uh, this six-year cycle so that the and I I usually think of it six seven years so first six years of a child's life is mom's time right so this is the time that they are with their mom and are just getting that um, 
unconditional love, support, validation, safety. You know, this is where their uh, their confidence is built. And this is where they're, you know, that trusting and knowing that they're loved and able to move in the world from that place because they feel that love no matter what. Right. So that's first six, seven years. Then the next six or seven years is uh, viewed as, as dad's time. This is where you start to take them away from mom a bit more and start to treat them or sorry, start to teach them about some of the aspects of being uh, adult in this world. Right. So you start to teach them life skills, start to teach them some sort of, you know, adaptability, resiliency. Um, and just like how to move in the world, so kind of preparing them for adulthood. And then comes the third stage, which is really them starting to put the practice to reality, right? So after the age of like 14, they're kind of, you know, it's usually like a rebellious stage for children. So it's kind of like the stage where they're out in the world and putting all these things they've learned in their first 14 years into practice of like how it is to live. And, you know, ideally you've built enough trust and love in those first 14 years that as they're enacting all those lessons that they've learned, they're still coming back to you for support, feedback, and, uh, you know, assistance around that adjustment so that they can continue to move in a better way and really just prepare them for adulthood. Yeah. See, I really like that, that, that model. I'd be interested even to carry it out past, because if we're saying seven, right, we go seven, 14, 14, 21, is that you know they're, they're venturing out into the world on their own ideally there's that rite of passage or some sort of ceremonial crossing into that stage and and then 21 to 28 and mm -hmm. 28 to 35 which is where you and i both are right mm -hmm. now um, but just zeroing in on the journey of sitka and, and my role in his cycles so he turned seven in september and i noticed that there's been a really big shift in him where like i was mentioning before when you asked me about when he was two and a half three that it was it's always been mom mm -hmm. it's always been and it still is in large part he's still there's still comfort that he is able to draw and, and get from his mom but there's also been some tension too as i'm thinking about it now that and i've i've easily dismissed it as oh well, that's just normal kid stuff mm-hmm but there's more tension and I've seen Carrie being a little bit more at a loss for how to show up with him. Mm. And there's a different way that he responds with that challenge he's going through with her than he does with me. So this idea that stepping, he, he's literally moved into dad's time, the dad window, mm. whatever we want to call it right now. And it, it's instinctual in him. He's been, uh, really into his strength and his fitness and he knows that that's something he's seen that modeled by me so he i'm i'm the number one resource right he's he, it's so wonderful when you see kids think so logically he's like who's the person here who's going to help me with this you, you. okay <laughs> let's do this he woke me up a couple weeks ago in the morning on a saturday and said dad i want to go for a run let's go it's like all right grab our shoes out the door and he's he's into doing pull-ups and push-ups and and also he's been asking me more about when we go on these runs and we do these things together it's like there's a there's a window that's opening and he's bringing his curiosity and his vulnerability more to me than he ever has before mm -hmm. so it feels like this is the moment i've been waiting for mm -hmm. with my son 
because it's been really difficult. I'm not a inherently nurturing person in the way, definitely not in the way that my wife is. Mm. And so the times where he's looked for that in me, I've really struggled to give him exactly what he needs. And he finds that in his mother so naturally. So it feels really good to see that, oh, well, this is just him starting to ask for what he needs from me and I can provide it and it's a lot more effortless. Yeah. And uh, so in a couple of weeks, we're going out camping again. We haven't gone on a camping trip in a couple of years. And uh, yeah, just really looking forward to that time. And it's, it's giving me a new lens to look through. Even just this week of discussing that with you, I'm seeing uh, this is really a time for me to be more conscious and aware of what he's asking for. Yeah, it's really interesting how that uh, that window opens up. I know for myself, when I found out that Demetra was pregnant, I was going to have a kid, I immediately jumped to like, oh yeah, the kid's going to be born, they're going to be seven, you know, <laughs> play catch and be able to go camping together and do all these things and, you know, be able to teach him and show him all the things that matter to me so much, you know, and through those activities, be able to teach him about life. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they're born like, oh, this kid wants nothing to do with me. I don't have a boob. I don't have milk. I don't, you know, yeah. all these things. And, you know, that that first phase, it's it's a while, you know, it can feel like a long time. And um, I know for myself, I've, I've found ways to uh, connect and obviously support my wife, but, you know, connect with my children in this younger age. And we still have fun and roughhouse a little bit and kind of do all those cool things together. But um, I catch myself sometimes treating my son like he's in that next phase. You know, my son's sure. four and, you know, him, he's very large and in charge. You know, he's a big dude. So it's easy to think of him as like a six year old or mm-hmm. something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes I find myself like trying to teach him some of these bigger lessons about, you know, respect and honesty and all these. And I'm like, you know, and then I catch myself. I'm like, it's not the stage for that yet. Sure. It's not sure. the stage for that yet. So it's, uh, yeah, it's got, it's got to be pretty exciting to be entering that phase now, huh? It's exciting. And as I'm thinking about what you're saying, because I'm looking at you, you still got a couple to a few more years in that window that we're talking about here. I think about the pro- the journey for me of enduring that time, because there's a lot of frustration sprinkled in there along the way. Lots of frustration, anger, like things that I never thought would show up for me as a dad with a son. You know, you, I remember before my child was ever born thinking, oh, well, he'll pop out and he'll sit on my lap while I meditate in the morning and we'll do our morning exercises together. I'm like, what the hell did I think Yoda was going to come out of my wife's vagina? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know that's that's the naivete of life and um, I just think about how important it was for me to endure but also the reason that I think he's so willing to venture into the space with me now is two things number one I I never gave him a reason to feel so unsafe with me that he wouldn't trust me anymore mm-hmm. I always, and that's such an important reference point is safety and trust. It's like the only language that kids know how to speak Mm. at that age. And there's certainly times where I've scared my son, I've raised my voice, I've I've made him feel unsafe with me. And there's always been that restoration of that. And I know that on a deep level, he feels safe and secure with me because there's evidence of it. You know, Mm -hmm. when, when his mom's not there, he, 
cuddles up with me. Sometimes he wants me to put him to bed. And when I'm in there, he's scared or doesn't feel good. He wants something from me. So I know it's like, okay, at least he still trusts me. And with that trust, it makes everything that we're stepping into in the second season of his life possible. Mm -hmm. So, and that's a whole topic, I suppose, we could talk about. I think that there was a lot of opportunity for me to let my own anger and frustration get the better of me and affect the trust in our relationship that maybe that wouldn't be as achievable at this stage. So that's one thing. The second thing is I think we've done a really good job of surrounding him with other examples of men so that it's not just, oh, this is what dad does as Mm -hmm. a man, but it's like, oh, this is what a lot of good men do around my father. He, he, I mean, how early in his life was he chopping wood with you and I going out to gather wood for ceremonies and just doing guy things with us and witnessing his uncles do things that are similar to his father. So I think that also has built a narrative for him of what it looks like for him to be a good man. And I could see it through his eyes right now. It's like he just wants to go and practice what he needs to be that version of a man now. Yeah. So it's it's that combination of he trusts me to be his let's say his lead guide mm-hmm. into that. And he's got these other guides around him. This amazing community of men that love him and have watched him develop and grow, who he knows he can also lean on for support. Um, so I know that's so core to the way that you and I both see raising sons and boys in this world mm-hmm. is creating more of that. And uh, it doesn't always need to look like the way we did it, but the same, I'd say the same foundational pieces same pillars absolutely yeah man i think you know just the importance of modeling what it is to be a good man um it's pretty clear that your sika sees what you do and he wants to do what you do you know because you're his dad so uh thankfully you're modeling good things for him and and those are things he wants to do like running and doing hundreds of pull-ups and you know, I wasn't um, doing a hundred pull-ups before he got me. I'll, yeah. I'll give him credit for that. <laughs> I was doing some, but I wasn't doing hundred. He, he's whipping you into shape. <laughs> he's raising the bar real quick. <laughs> yeah, man. So you know that that modeling and you know that those are things that don't just. It's not like my child is seven. We're beginning dad's phase, so it's time to now model and be a good man. It's like th- these are things that they're witnessing all these years, and I think. I'm just trying to remember when I was that age, you know, I feel like around seven, eight, nine, around then, I was just like, I wanted to be a man, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. hanging out with the older boys, witnessing men doing men stuff. And yeah, it's like, I don't want to be a baby anymore. I want to be a man. So mm-hmm. it's like, so you start to look to the men that surround you or to towards TV or whatever, you know, you see. And it's like, you start to pick up these little pieces of like, oh yeah, that's a man. A man does this. A man says this, a man acts in this way. And then you start to, you know, kind of parrot those things until you're, until you're a man, you know? Yeah. That made me think of another thing while I was listening to you about how um, I've also been willing to be really honest with my son, Mm. age appropriate, but honest to the sense, to the degree where honest with my emotions, you know, I've obviously do my best to contain emotions so that safety is still there but also giving him enough of an experience of oh a man also has this full experience and and range of what i'm feeling as a a child Mm. and 
he gets to see how I reconcile those things as we get older. Because I think at that, if I think back to when I was seven, I really remember my eighth birthday. Because I even remember what I got as a birthday present. Like, I remember my eighth birthday. So I feel like I was playing football at the time. And my (laughs) mom got me this, um, like, mesh jersey that had a number eight on it. Nice. And I remember wearing it to football practice for years. So I... I just remember that stage in my life and if I think about my version of my dad that I had the, the, the profile I had of him was he he never got off balance mm-hmm. it's very steady just like a like reliable like old faithful you know yeah. like you just count on him to do what he was gonna do and there's plenty of things that I didn't get to see that he contained inside but like that was him so Thinking of what Sika has gotten to witness and experience of me, he's gotten to see that there's a fullness to this. And that I think it's important for children to grow up with the with the understanding that their parents are also human. I remember when I first realized that, but I didn't have that realization until I was like in my twenties, and I was it was difficult because it shattered this idea of oh my parents are these perfect enlightened beings, mm-hmm. but it was also very comforting. It's like oh well. If they're still figuring it out, then it's okay for me to not know exactly what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some version of that that is important for children to see that, yeah, you know, you can trust me enough that I know how to f- figure things out, but I also don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to find some on your own that uh, I'm really looking forward to bringing into his life and into his world and encouraging him to problem solve because I. I can already see that he's trying to find the right way to do things. Mm. Mm. It's amazing how, especially boys, they just, it's like they're, it's embedded in them. And that there's not exactly one right way. I I, I wish I would have understood that earlier. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I think that's a great way to, to model and teach that is, you know, our, willingness to be honest of not having all the answers you know i think traditionally adults create the they they try to provide safety to children by creating the facade that they they know everything right where i think safety true safety is like really moving the mark from i know everything to i don't know everything but i'm not going anywhere Mm -hmm. like i'm I'm here no matter what and willing to willing to figure it out and find a way. I'm not, you know, not going to abandon ship. I feel like that's where the true safety is, you know, um, and abandoned ship doesn't necessarily mean physically leaving the room. Mm-hmm. Sometimes abandoning ship could be just emotionally shutting down. Yeah. Just being unavailable. So that's what kids pick up on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They truly, I had a great conversation with, uh, this woman after a ceremony kind of saw my son's interaction with me you know and uh she she was mentioning that there's times where that she witnessed that I was kind of checked out and I was like well I, you know I don't really resonate with that however there are times where my son is pissing me off so much that like I resort to being quiet because I don't want to yell, right? Or I don't want to snap or I don't, yeah, I, don't, I just don't want to get to that. I feel the anger like right here. Yeah. And I don't want to let that out. So I'm like, it's better for me to keep my mouth shut. 
you know, to not let that out. And the connection I made there is like, well, that is a version of checking out, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's, I think the purpose of it is, is a good one, you know, mm-hmm. to, to preserve the yelling and everything like that. Yeah. You know, that's a great moment for me to instead to express how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm really, my heart is feeling very angry right now. You know, I, um, I'm having a hard time with this and daddy feels like he's going to yell and I really don't want to do that. You know, and I don't want you to feel scared or this, this and that, you know? Um, so anyway, you know, that whole, that whole riff is just to go on, you know, checking out can look a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also agree that what you're describing as, as checking out is not always, uh, not always a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many times I, I wish I would have like <laughs> been more of that instead of the expressive, explosive version that can come out sometimes. Me too. And um, uh, to me, th- there's another word that comes up a lot. I've been reading this book, rereading this book called Leadership Dojo, and it's talking about practice and just the the practice of fathering mm. children. And they talk about bringing practice into a daily experience and that we essentially we become what we practice if we're thinking of practice as the things that i do repetitively mm-hmm. so all of the just taking that lens and looking at my interactions with my children it's a good checkpoint what am i practicing mm-hmm. what am i practicing with my kids am i practicing containment absolutely at times am i practicing honesty absolutely where am i what are the things that i want to bring into my parenting that I'm not practicing more of I'd say right now more um, more engagement more meeting them where they're at finding excitement and enthusiasm for the things that that they're interested in I don't know about I don't know if it's the same for other parents but for me the like zero to five year old phase has been very challenging because I just don't I'm not really interested in the things that they want to do at that time like sit and just like move dirt it's just not very interesting to me Nat- naturally so the I'm, I'm not very well practiced in releasing all the other things that i'd like to do mm-hmm. just to sit there with my daughter and move dirt uh, <laughs> so as you know as I, yeah. I, I come back to just this you know thinking of that element of practice and what am i what am i preparing myself for too because then it brings in the element of vision and values that mm-hmm. I think is really important. And a lot of fathers may, may not, may, may abandon that going into those early years yeah. of family and parenthood, abandon the vision, abandon values, or, or even never visit them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Enough to get clear. You mm-hmm. might think that I'm clear, but then if you sit down and ask yourself, well, what are the values that you're practicing to be that, that example for your family? Mm-hmm. What's the vision that you have for when your son becomes seven or becomes 14 and and if you don't know what that looks like then it's time to go back to the drawing board that's it it's a central one i mean it's like oh i've been working with uh making our life the masterpiece kind of analogy recently and i think it's like you know determining our values and uh yeah determining our values before we get to the point where it's time to teach the values it's like it's like putting pencil down on the canvas first, you know, it's just kind of mapping out where 
where everything's going to go on on the piece of art and then you start putting you know then you start putting paint down and actually creating it and things might shift and move a little bit you know this flower that you thought was going to be here might be up a little bit higher might be a little bigger than you thought it was going to be but nonetheless you're still putting the pencil down to just like mark down those cardinal points and directions mm. you know i love metaphors man and i love thinking of life as a masterpiece that way uh, one of the things I just realized I always had a resistance to when it came to visual arts, like mm -hmm. drawing or painting, is nobody ever taught me that a painting or a drawing can evolve. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I missed that class. Maybe I slept. I don't know. But when I, the, 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 my friends that I have who are artists, I watch them, I've been able to watch them through the creative process and see that the way that a painting starts, for example, mm -hmm. and the way it finishes is just I didn't know that you could do that. I didn't know you could move things around on your canvas. I didn't know. Like I thought, like, hey, if I start drawing this flower, it's going to be there like mm -hmm. that, which for me personally is a good reflection of how I used to hold and sometimes still do the, the fixed nature of a vision. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, so I, I just really appreciate that metaphor of being able to adapt because, you know, I think a vision is a snapshot of a future and... I can see it when I close my eyes and the closer I get to it, the more it comes into focus. And sometimes there are significant shifts in that. Yeah. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's a piece of that that just always stayed true. But then there's other things that move around, colors that change, textures, you know, brush strokes. That I think is what makes this blended version of a life that we're talking about, life by design possible is having the willingness to adapt and and the creativity to adapt the canvas and the picture over time because uh i don't know i don't know anybody who saw something in in 4k when they closed their eyes and then 30 years later it was that uh, yep. i wouldn't trust them either if they said yep. they did yeah I'm like <laughs> come on come on not <laughs> one thing well let's stick on the stick on this ripped of vision mm -hmm. and um so incorporating that into the the these phases of seven years. So mm -hmm. you were kind of stretching it out past, you know, mm -hmm. seven, fourteen. And right now you're turning thirty-five this year. You're turning I am thirty-five. You're thirty-five, turning so like thirty-six this end year. Of one. Yeah. Um so how would you characterize this next phase? It's pretty cool, man. And little disclaimer, I, I don't believe that anybody needs to fit into a model. And actually I, in my life, I try to get a little bit more away from this rigorous like mm -hmm. chunks, but I do, I look back on my own life in review and it's actually pretty accurate. So there's that zero to seven we talked about. There's that seven to 14. I remember, you know, it's pretty obvious what instinctually happens to teenagers, mm -hmm. you know, the distancing from the family unit. I think that's where instinct starts to get obstructed by social, con social construct mm -hmm. where it's, say helicopter parenting right or mm -hmm. over parenting we don't really let those that third season of life blossom into mm -hmm. what it could be we keep them close we try to put put bumpers on their future so that yeah. they make it to college or they make it to success but i think of you know 14 to 21 was definitely just making myself more distinct from my parents and then being in college 21 to 28 was really okay you're here out in the world I am the master and commander of my ship and it was the most fucking terrifying thing ever. Wait a second, I have to make decisions now? Wait a minute. And honestly, I really resisted that for 
the first three, four, five years of that mm-hmm. season until I, you know, 25, I left and started doing things on my own. So then 28 was right when Sitka was born. Mm. So it's really interesting. Like my life, I don't know about any, but my life is really lined yeah. up this way. So then I look at, well, what has 28 to 35 been? That's been the this, this season of early parenthood. <laughs> A large theme in it has been survival. Mm-hmm. Like just getting by. Yeah. And making sure that myself and my family, we didn't move too far away from that true north that has been there since before I even met my wife. Thankfully, we figured out how to navigate that. And I, I see myself arriving now, finishing my 35th year, moving into my 36th year. And there's like, there's another threshold to cross. I also fasted for the first time when I was, I was right before my 27th birthday, mm. right before I got married. So that was like marking a threshold. This right. is the end of this chapter. This is inviting family. This is inviting all that in. So as you, as you mentioned before, you know, getting ready for another rite of passage and taking on an even bigger commitment that holds a lot more for me. This next chapter is about, well, what it feels like to me is stepping more into the fullness of this integrated life Yeah. to where I don't, because what I've learned in the last seven years is how to show up more and more like myself. So the version of me that people get on this podcast episode to the version of me that you experienced in base camp all week to the version of me that goes home to my family is more and more of the same person. Right. Not on like a essential cellular level, but just me. So that there's not this, oh, well, this is the jetty over here. This is jetty over there. It's like they, they just become more blended. So what I imagine is that as that continues to happen more, the more blended my life is, the more I had power and energy that I put into whatever I'm doing mm-hmm. every day. Something as simple as making breakfast to leading a hundred men in something. Yeah. And uh, and then just the, I don't know, it feels like this, the summer. It feels like the south of my life right now. If we think of the medicine wheel, it feels like this is where I'm building the house. Mm-hmm. I'm really like hammer to nail, putting it all together and bringing these, what used to feel like distant parts of my life so that they're more one. And, but I really don't know because I, I feel like I'm on the doorstep of that threshold. And that's just what my instincts are telling me. So being a different type of father to Sitka now mm-hmm. and figuring out what that's going to be for Itzy when she makes her way into that next season too. And yeah. That's, <laughs> there's a lot of I don't knows on the other side of that threshold. That's usually a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> if you know too much, it's, it's usually a red flag. Yep. You know, and I, especially when it comes to rites of passage and stepping into this next phase, you know, I feel like it's always a good practice to envision, right? But not be tied to this is, this is the next phase of my life, right? Um, but from what I hear is a lot of, a lot of fine tuning, you know, which is still hammer to nail, um, but you're not, you're past creating the foundation, you know, which it sounds mm-hmm. like what this last phase was for you. It's really establishing the fa- foundation of, you know, this is my family, this is my wife, this is who I am as a husband, this is how I father my children, 
now stepping into this next phase fine-tuning of like this is how I bring all those things into alignment this is how I um, you know this is how I thrive in my relationship and in my family and adjustments here a little adjustment there a little adjustment there till you know the picture becomes more clear and um, you, you know you're closer to the closer to the masterpiece awesome man well that feels like kind of a nice natural punctuation um, I'm sure I'll be able to wrangle you in for another episode where we can talk about all the other things I want to talk about with you, but I, uh, I appreciate you wanting to make time for this one. And I guess, you know, any final thoughts when it comes to, you know, some, a dad that's out there that's listening to this, that might be in, you know, that first, uh, that first phase of their child's life where, you know, they're young, having some having some difficulty juggling it all and just keeping their head on straight so they can continue to move forward. Mm. Well, maybe this will be like a little teaser topic for next time. But I, what came to my mind is that I know a lot of fathers, just like you, different stages of life. I know fathers who are just beginning the, the journey with young children. I know fathers who are fathers to teenagers, fathers to grown children who are you know, if we take the seasonal model, who actually never got to complete the season mm. according to a developmental sequence. Something stunted it. Something got off kilter. Something got off track. Whether it was a divorce or a health event or or, or even if for those fathers who feel like they went 20 years and just blacked out. Yeah. Right? Like they, they just went into provider mode and forgot about their vision, forgot about what really matters to them. And then, then they wake up. And all of a sudden, I'm 45, and now I'm resonating with what 20, 30 year old Jetty is talking about here. Mm -hmm. That it's it's never really it's never too late. I think one of the big missions of our of our generation of this time right now is to uh, recondition this developmental sequence that's instinctual to us, that actually is healthy for development from one generation to the next, and that perhaps the mission for some of those men, whether they're at the beginning or somewhere in the middle of this, is to um, to allow themselves to release the chronology of it, mm -hmm. the chronos of this time scale, and just say, "Hey, where am I with this? And how can I, regardless of my age, regardless of my timing, create what we're talking about here? Getting back to my vision, getting back to my values, and blending all of these domains of my life to have an even more full experience of it." Um, one more thing I want to say, cause I know it came up for us this week. I think it's just one of those good zingers to leave is, uh, I know both you and I, if there's one domain of our lives that we would say, haven't made it where I want to be not satisfied, let's just say not satisfied. It's financially mm -hmm. like the, the, the state of my family's finances is I, I don't sit here and say, you know what, that's exactly where I want it to be. Yeah. But if you asked me, if, would I trade any of the other things that I have succeeded in? The way that my wife, the relationship my wife and I have, the children we have, the lifestyle we have, purpose, vision, mission, work, all of those other levels. If you told me that I had to trade one of those in order to have the finance, the, the where I want it to be, there's no way. There's no way I would. And I know so many people who have hit that. There's always a trade-off. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's nobody who has hit every single one of those marks 
at this stage of the game that mm-hmm. I know. Maybe there's some people out there who figured it out, but it seems like there's always a cost. And if there was one, I'm I'm okay with that. Letting that be the thing that I I then bring up to the level of everything else in my life. And mm-hmm. I know that you feel the same way too. All right, bro. Well, once again, I appreciate you for coming on this segment of the podcast. I love you very much. Thank you, bro. Until next time. Yes, sir. And so it is. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. It was really good to drop in with Jetty. It's been a while since we've been able to have a conversation like that. So I hope there's something in there, whether you're a dad or whether you're just uh, a man who's embarking on family or you're still a guy that is family is not even in your mind space yet. Um, I hope there's something in here that's going to help you navigate life in a little bit of a smoother way and uh, really just leave you feeling fulfilled. Now, if you love the Rise Man podcast, if you love Fam Life, leave a review on whatever you're listening to this on. Uh, Subscribe to our YouTube channel and send the episode to a friend. All right. Until next time, stay up. Thank you.